Good morning, Journey. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on the ministry team here. So I fell in love with the game of basketball in 1986. I was only 12 years old, but I remember picking up the orange ball for the very first time and dribbling it on the ground with two hands and then finding a basketball hoop and shooting baskets for the very first time. And I fell in love with the game and I joined the junior high basketball team at my school. I finally made the high school basketball team. And then I got an opportunity to play a couple years in college, but I'll never forget one of my favorite, favorite experiences of all time was an opportunity that my high school team had to play in McNichols Arena in Denver, Colorado, the site where the Denver Nuggets played their home games. All my heroes played on that basketball court, and I'll never forget that experience, walking into that arena for the very first time and seeing just thousands of seats and looking up into the ceiling and seeing that gigantic scoreboard and in the middle of the game I saw my number on the board with how many points I'd scored and how many fouls I had. I'll never forget that experience. I actually have a picture of it here and I know exactly what you're thinking. That is a really good head of hair. I know that's what you're what you're thinking. And and then your second thought is that is the whitest basketball player I've ever seen. But that was that, that night, I'll never forget it. And we went into halftime, and we were actually down by a whole lot of points. Um, it was a team we should have beat on any other night. We would have beaten this team. But we walked into the locker room and sat down, and I'll never forget that halftime. Our coach walked into the room, and he began to pace back and forth. Just a slow, methodical pace. He'd look up at us and kind of scowl. And then he'd put his head down. And then he'd walk back again, and he'd look back up at us, and he'd frown. This must have went on for about a minute. And then finally, he got to the end of the bench, and there was a water cooler. And he took with two hands, and he slammed the water cooler onto the floor, and he looked up at us, and he said these six words. Do I have your attention now? Do I have your attention Now, you see, we were so blown away by the experience that we were in that we forgot that there was a basketball game to be played. We were distracted. And it finally took the voice of our coach to kind of grab our attention to refocus us. I'm happy to say we went on to finish the rest of the game, and we did beat them, but it took our coach to grab our attention You know what I believe today? I believe that God has been trying to capture the attention of the spiritually distracted for thousands of generations. We're in the middle of a series called Whispers, How to Hear the Voice of God, and we've been looking at the life of Samuel, we've been looking at the life of Elijah, and today we're going to look at the life of Moses, and and we're going to see that God is always trying to speak to us, but far too many times we're distracted in life to hear from him. Two weeks ago, we learned from the, the prophet or from Elijah that, that, that we have pain in our lives and we need to diagnose that pain before we can begin to hear from God. And we learned last week how to begin to heal from the pain in our lives. But there may be some of you today that would say, you know what, Brandon, um, I'm not really hurting, but I'm, I'm not hearing either. I'm not hurting in life, but I'm not hearing the voice of God in my life as well. 
630 years prior to the life of Elijah, there was a man named Moses who was probably saying the same thing. And we're going to look at his life and we're going to find some really practical things that we can, that we can apply into our lives so that we can, again, hear the voice of God. Because before God ever spoke to Moses, or before God ever spoke to Elijah at the broom bush, God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. Let's, let's look at it today. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles, this is a great time to open up. Um, we have a great JCI app. Open that up right now. All of the verses and all of the notes will be in that app as well. You can email it to yourself later so that you have a copy of it electronically. Let me catch you up with where we're at in history. You see, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and they were under the oppressive leadership of, a, a, of Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh saw that the Israelite population was continuing to grow, not decrease. And so this concerned Pharaoh, so he issued a decree, he issued a rule, get this, that all for all babies to be thrown into the Nile River. All Israelite babies were to be thrown into the Nile River. Now, Moses' family, as a Hebrew baby, decided that they, weren't, they were going to put Moses in the Nile River, but they were going to put him into a basket. And hopefully, somehow, God would protect them, and he did. And Moses escaped death, and he was actually adopted into the family of Pharaoh himself, Pharaoh's own daughter found him floating in the Nile, and they picked up the baby, and they adopted Moses into the family of Pharaoh. And this took place at about 1525 B.C. Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh, still in Israel, still a Hebrew, but he grew up learning and understanding what it meant to be an Egyptian. And Moses murdered an Egyptian uh, guard because he saw the Egyptian guard abusing an Israelite slave. And so Moses, fearing for his life, he left Egypt and he fled to a place called Midian. And this took place at about 1486 B.C. While in Midian, Moses met a woman. His, her name was Zipporah. She, he married Zipporah. And Zipporah happened to be the daughter of a priest named Jethro. And Moses became the family shepherd. And then in 1446, listen, 40 years after fleeing from Egypt, God had to grab Moses' attention. You see, Moses was distracted from his purpose, and God had to grab his attention. Let's read about it today in Exodus chapter 3, real quick, verses 1 through 10. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Now that should sound familiar to you, and we're, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was not on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And so I, am come, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. I've always found this story intriguing. Growing up as a a young boy who went to Sunday school, I, I always loved the story of Moses and the burning bush. But this wouldn't be the last time that someone spoke through a bush. In 1986, Lucky Day, Dusty Bottoms, and Ned would encounter a singing bush to receive their next instructions in their pursuit of El Guapo and his gang of bandits. To kind of tell you how my mind thinks sometimes, every time I think of the story of Moses, I reflect upon the story of the three amigos. Have you seen the movie too? That's how my mind works. Sorry, guys. Moses and the burning bush is a great story. Why? Because it is is an opportunity where God had to speak to Moses because he needed to grab his attention. So my question for you today is this. What is it going to take to get your attention? What is it going to take to get your attention? Because before God spoke to Moses, he had to grab his attention. I want you to look at verses 3 and 4 again and pay careful attention to the order in which this takes place. It's so important. Verse 3, so Moses thought, I love this, we capture what Moses is thinking. He says, I will go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. And then in verse 4, watch this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, when the Lord saw that he had the attention of Moses, then he began to speak. Then God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, why did God have to get his attention? Why did God have to grab his attention? I I think it's because that Moses wasn't listening to him. He was too busy living for himself. While, while Moses was living the dream, the Israelites were back in Egypt, remain, remaining in slavery. While Moses was, listen, drifting, the Israelites were crying out to God. Which brings us to a whisper reality that I want to share with you today. Before you can hear the whispers of God in your life, He desires to have your full attention. Before you can hear the whispers of God in your life, He desires to have your full attention. And when you're not fully attentive to God speaking in your life, we begin to drift. We begin to drift. Drifting is this continuous slow movement from one place to another, lacking any purpose, lacking any intentionality, lacking any planning. It's this slow movement from one place to another. It kind of reminds me of shopping with my wife and my daughter from time to time. Guys, you could probably uh, agree with me. Uh, if a guy needs to get a stick of deodorant and, uh, and a tube of toothpaste, they're going to go right into the store. They're going to pick their items. They're going to go straight to the register, and then they're going to leave. But not the case with, 
my family, with my wife, with my daughter. They, they get distracted, and, and I'll be shopping with them, and I'll look behind me, and they're no longer there. They're drifting throughout the store, and I find myself drifting throughout the store trying to find them. Listen, we can encounter spiritual drift in our lives a lot like that. We can encounter spiritual drift when we, listen, get stuck between running from God and running to God. That's spiritual drift. We're, we're, we're not running from God, but we're not passionately pursuing Him either. And maybe this describes you today. Maybe you came to a faith in Jesus Christ at a very young age. Maybe it was at vacation Bible school. And, and, and maybe it was at, at student camp. And you're stuck right now in between not, not running from God, but you're not passionately pursuing Him either. Or maybe you're here today and just something doesn't feel right. Maybe something deep inside of you understands that something is missing in your life. You're not, you're not running from God, but you're not passionately pursuing him either. Perhaps you're caught in this spiritual drift and, and maybe today God wants to recapture your attention so that you don't remain in this drift. Why? Because spiritual drift is so dangerous. Drifting in life is so dangerous. Many of you may be boat owners. Maybe you've, many of you have been on a boat before. And you know that one of the most dangerous times of being on a boat is when you lose your motor or when you lose your sail, when you lose the force that propels you through the water and you begin to drift. And when you're on a boat and you begin to drift, then you're at the control of all the currents and wherever they want to take you. Spiritual drift is so dangerous. And today I want to outline three specific ways that spiritual drift can be dangerous in our lives. And I want to give you three ways to avoid the spiritual drift, especially as we look at the life of Moses. Danger number one. Danger in spiritually drifting number one is this. When we drift, we rarely move in the positive direction. Have you noticed that in your life? When we drift, we rarely move in the positive direction. Take a look at Exodus chapter 2, just a few verses later. In Exodus chapter 2, or earlier, in, in verse 21 and 22, Moses is fleeing from Egypt now. He's fleeing for his life, and he finds himself in the land of Midian. He meets a woman, Zipporah, and it says in verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with the man, that's Jethro, Zipporah's father-in-law, or Zipporah's father, who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Now look at verse 22. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. You see, Moses was doubly removed from the land in which he once lived. He and his people, the Israelites, were strangers in Egypt, and now Moses was cast off from his people, and he finds himself a stranger in another place. And to remind himself of this, he names his son Gershom. Now, why is that significant? Because Gershom's name actually means a stranger there. It was almost as if Moses was identifying what he was experiencing at this very moment. It was Moses's, how did I get in this place moment? How did I ever get here. 
Is that what you're experiencing this morning? Is your name, could your name be Gershom this morning? I feel like a stranger in a very strange place. How did I get here? You see, unintentional living in our lives leads to drift. And drifting can, will always take us to strange places. Drifting never takes us in the positive direction. It'll take us to places where we feel uncomfortable. It'll take us to places where we feel awkward. It'll take us to places where are actually hostile environments. It'll take us into negative places. Drifting never takes us to the positive direction. And we know this to be true. Come, to, to be true, you know this in your own life. Listen, students, if you don't pay attention in school, what happens? You begin to drift, and what happens? You get bad grades. If you're inattentive in your marriage, husbands, wives, if you neglect the relationship in your marriage, what happens? Your, your marriage begins to drift, and you, you find rough spots, and, and, and you find that you need a little help in your marriage. Or if you don't pay attention at work, if you begin to let your work slide, what happens? Well... Ultimately, you could become fired. Or maybe if you don't pay attention as parents, right? We begin to lose focus of our kids. And, and, and what ultimately happens, our kids begin to drift and they find themselves in very difficult circumstances. The same thing happens in our health, right? If we start neglecting what we eat and we stop exercising and we just begin to drift in our health, Right? We can find ourselves in some pretty rough spots. This happened to me when I moved to Kansas City from Florida just a little over a year ago. I began to neglect what I was eating. Why? Because I was in the home of barbecue. Right? We moved, we moved back, back from Florida, and we just, we just love barbecue. I was eating barbecue four or five times a week, and, and it was catching up to me. I had gained at least 10 pounds in the first two months from coming back here from Florida. I was neglecting my health. I found myself in a very difficult space. The same thing happens in our lives spiritually. If you live your life unintentionally, without purpose spiritually, you begin to drift from God. Listen, we don't accidentally get good, good, good grades in school. We don't accidentally have great marriage. We don't accidentally have kids that grow up loving Jesus and following Jesus. We don't accidentally have good health and we don't accidentally, listen, we don't accidentally grow spiritually. We don't accidentally fall in love with Jesus. We, it takes work. It requires our attention. And we can avoid spiritual drift in our lives if we begin to live life intentionally. We can avoid spiritual drift in our lives if we begin to live life intentionally. That's why I've loved the 40-day Be Still Challenge. Many of us are participating in that. And I love it because we're finally taking our spiritual lives and living them intentionally with purpose, with a plan. And I hope today that maybe if you haven't started that, you begin that today because it's been so powerful. When we drift, we rarely move in the positive direction. Danger number two, when we drift we lose focus of what is most important in our lives. When we drift, we lose focus of what is most important in our lives. I don't know about you, but what I've discovered in my life is what I focus my attention on is what I often drift towards. What you focus your attention on is often what you drift 
towards. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but when I was in a, 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 a high school student learning how to drive, I had one of my instructors say, listen, when you're driving at night, don't ever stare at the headlights coming at you because you often might find yourself drifting in the other lane. I've never tried it, but, but it sounds dangerous, right? And, and when we focus our, what we focus our attention on is ultimately what you drift towards. It becomes your desire. It becomes your affection. And if we're not careful, we're going to wake up one day and we're going to ask ourselves, how did I ever get to this place in my life? It was never my intention. It was never my intention to be here. It's because it, all, it started with a thought. It always starts with a thought. And a thought becomes an attitude, and an attitude becomes an action. And when you repeat that action over and over and over again, that action becomes a behavior. And a behavior over time becomes your destiny. But it always starts with a thought. A thought like this, man, she's cute. Or a thought like this, that looks like a whole lot of fun. Or a thought like this, I don't think I'd get caught. Or maybe a thought like this, I wonder what it feels like. You see, the writer of Hebrews, the, he writes a letter to the early Jewish Christians in about 70 AD, and he warned them, and he's warning us today. He says, pay attention to what is most important. Pay attention to Jesus. Look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. So powerful. We must pay attention. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. Listen, so that we do not drift away. So, so how do we pay careful attention in our lives? How, how do we do that? We do that by creating boundaries. We do that by creating what I call points of reference in our lives. And we can avoid the spiritual drift in our lives when we establish spiritual points of reference. Now, you may be asking, okay, what's a spiritual point of reference in our lives? Well, let me help with this illustration. When we were in Florida, one of our favorite things to do as a family is to bodyboard. Now, bodyboarding, if you're unfamiliar with that, is what people do when you're unskilled at surfing. I don't know if you've ever tried surfing, but it is one of the hardest things to do. So you get on a board and you lay on your belly and you ride the waves. It's still a, an absolute thrill. And I was able to teach all of my kids how to bodyboard and, and I would help them catch the waves because it's just an, an amazing feeling. And, and we got to a place where we were so comfortable with our kids bodyboarding, we let them do it on their own out in the ocean by themselves. But before I would let them go out on their own, I would always remind them, hey guys, you see that red umbrella on the shore? You see that red umbrella? Always stay focused on that red umbrella because underneath that red umbrella is where mommy and daddy are. Don't lose sight of that red umbrella because the currents of the water will take you to places where you never intended to be. Listen, we can avoid spiritual drift in our lives if we establish spiritual reference points. Now, what does that look like for us? Well, for Moses, his spiritual reference point was Mount Oreb. Mount Oreb. Mount Oreb, if you remember last week, was referred to as the mountain of God, the place where people met with God. 
God spoke to Moses through a burning bush on Mount Oreb. God would later speak to Moses again and give him the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, which happens to be one of the mountains in the Oreb mountain range. And then God would speak to Elijah 630 years later on Mount Oreb for the Israelites, for the Jewish uh, people. Mount Oreb was a spiritual reference point. It was a place where God spoke to him. Now, we can help you establish spiritual reference points in your lives. We call them the four E's. The four E's are this, experiencing God through weekly worship experience. It's what you're doing right now. You can establish a spiritual reference point of engaging in Christian relationships through small groups. Over 50 individuals last week signed up to be a part of a small group because they wanted to establish a spiritual reference point in their life. You can establish a spiritual reference point by embracing the, the, this idea of serving through volunteering. And, and you can establish a spiritual reference point by equipping yourself with a personalized spiritual growth plan. This is our spiritual development plan for you. And if you look at those, they are spiritual reference points in your lives. And here's the reality, if we can keep those on the screen. God will speak to you in each and every one of those areas. He will speak to you through weekly worship. He will speak to you through small groups. He will speak to you when you're serving others and expecting nothing in return. He will speak to you in your daily quiet time. God wants to speak to us. So let me ask you a question. What is your spiritual mountain? What is your spiritual reference point that you are avoiding because you know that God will speak to you there? Is it faithful weekly worship? Maybe you come and, you, and your, your attendance is a little bit sporadic because you always leave here feeling like you always got to change something in your life. Is it, is it not getting plugged into a small group because you're a little fearful that people will actually see a little, little deeper into your life? Is it, is it serving on a regular basis because you realize that you may have to sacrifice a little bit more of your time? Is it not getting involved in a daily quiet time because every time you do, you're challenged just a little bit more to make changes in your life? Friends, like that umbrella on the shore, how far, how far have you ventured off course? How far have you drifted in any of these areas? Perhaps today, maybe you need to reestablish some spiritual reference points in your life. Because when we drift, we rarely move in the positive direction. When we drift, we lose focus of what is most important. And then finally, danger number three. Danger number three, when we drift, we become numb to what breaks the heart of God. When we drift, we become numb to what breaks the heart of God. Look at verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3 with me just real quick. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. You see, God hadn't forgotten about his people. God hadn't forgotten about Moses, and God is not has not forgotten about you. You see, life was good for Moses. He was removed from all the suffering that, was exist, that existed in Egypt. He had a full-time job with light responsibility. 
he, he married into a really good family, and he really didn't have any major cares in this world, and yet he found himself drifting, and he found himself in a place where he was numb to what was breaking the heart of God. You know what breaks the heart of God? I, I believe three specific things. I, I think there's lots of things that break the heart of God, but three specific things that I believe break the heart of God, and that's this. First of all, suffering that exists in this world. I believe that breaks the heart of God. I believe it breaks the heart of God when he sees natural disasters, the effects of natural disasters. I believe it breaks the heart of God when he sees famine that exists all over the world. I, be, I believe it breaks the heart of God when he sees oppressive leaders and governments that, that exist throughout the world. I believe it breaks the heart of God when he sees hatred that exists between people groups. I believe it breaks the heart of God when he sees the separation that exists between you and him, between myself and him, when our, when our relationship drifts apart. I believe it breaks the heart of God when he sees habitual sin in our lives. Those break the heart of God. And when you drift spiritually for an extended period of time, um, you become numb you become numb to the suffering. You become numb to the separation. And you become to, numb to sin that exists in your life. And God has to grab your attention before you wake up one day like Elijah, like Moses, and you say, how did I ever get to this place in my life? You know, in this room, I believe there are three types of individuals. There are people who know they're drifting spiritually there are individuals who are unaware that they are drifting spiritually. And then finally, I believe there are people who are passionately pursuing God so they do not drift spiritually. So how do you know if you're drifting? How do you know if you're drifting? I think all you have to do is ask yourself just this one question. Just one question. How sensitive am I? How sensitive am I to the things that break the heart of God? Am I sensitive to the suffering that exists all around me? Am I, am I aware of the growing separation that has developed in my relationship with God? Am I sensitive to the sin that is in my life? You see, you can avoid, we can avoid spiritual drift in our lives when we chase, when we chase after the heart of God. Friends, we weren't ever designed to drift in life. We were designed to chase. We were designed to chase after the heart of God. Are you chasing after the heart of God today? You know, one of the favorite things I love to do is go to the mountains. Uh, I feel closest to God in the mountains. My wife would say she feels closest to God at the beach. I love the mountains. And one of my bucket list items I want to accomplish one day is to visit all 58 national parks in the United States of America. I feel like that's going to be awesome. And maybe I'll get to do it one of these days. But one of the par parks I want to visit is in Oregon. It's called Crater Lake National Park. Maybe some of you have been there. And I actually want to go to Crater Lake because there is a bizarre natural attraction that has been attracting visitors for years. It's, been a, it, it's so famous, they've actually given this thing a name it's called the old man on the lake have you heard about it it's called the old man on the lake and what it is it's a 30-foot tree trunk that has been drifting in the lake for years it doesn't lay flat on the lake it actually is upright 
Four feet of the tree trunk is exposed. And they've been charting this trunk for over 120 years. You can go see it today. The top four feet has been weathered. It's been splintered. It's been worn out from the elements for 121 years. Moses, the old man in the desert, had been drifting for 40 years. Back in Egypt, he had tried to take matters into his own hands by killing that Egyptian rather than listening to God, and he found himself drifting. And he spent 40 years out in the wilderness, pouting, wondering, how did I ever get here? But that didn't have to be his destiny. That wasn't his destiny. God grabbed his attention through a burning bush, and for the next 40 years, he would be defined, his life would be defined as a person that talked to God and listened to God each and every day. And God used him in amazing ways. God used him to free the Israelites out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land. How about you? How long have you been drifting? Don't let your drifting today define your destiny. Begin to live intentionally in your life. You were made on purpose for a purpose. Establish spiritual reference points in your life so that you do, don't do lose sight of what is most important and begin to chase after the heart of God. Wake up every morning, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. You were never designed to drift. You were designed to chase, chase after God's heart. Would you bow your heads with me right now as we kind of wrap?